Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of An Evolved Review. I'm your host, James Caleb Kitchens. I'm joined each and every week by none other than Caleb Stovall, the man who consumes more wrestling content than anyone in the known multiverse. But tonight, tonight it's Dark Side of the Ring. It's Dark Side of the Ring Season 3, Episode 3. It is the episode about none other than Nick fucking Gage. And joining us here, straight from suplexes and microphones, none other than Joseph Brown. Welcome back, man. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Guys, Dark Side of the Ring is our bread and butter. As a matter of fact, Joe, you are on our most popular episode ever, so maybe you're the ratings guy here, which is oh, the, hey. the Bruiser Brody episode. Nice. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, that, As a matter of fact, I mean, that episode, I think it's got maybe 2,000 views on YouTube only. Oh, wow. And it's uh, and, and it has the most comments. I mean, there's people comment on the episode all the time. Wow. Good. That's awesome. So, uh, but today uh, we are talking about, of course, Dark Side of the Ring, Season 3, Episode 3, Nick Gage, MDK, Murder, Death, Kill. I want to start off with a question to both of you. <laughs> um, and, and, and guest privilege, Joe, you can go first. Is this the wildest episode of Dark Side of the Ring? And I know that that's a, that's a, a multi-layered question. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, um, in some ways, it, it definitely is. Um, Nick Gage apparently, there's there's no there's no boundaries with this guy. So, um, this was it was definitely an interesting episode. I didn't know a lot about Nick Gage prior to this, just just a little bit, but it was wild. That's for sure. Stovall, what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I I think with all of the uh, horror music playing uh, in the background, with all of these deathmatch wrestling clips, uh, should tell it all. Um, yeah, this one was pretty wild. Uh, but I gotta say, um, at first when I when I started it, I kind of was like, all right, I'm not gonna like this after a while. But uh, literally five minutes in, I was just like, I cannot turn this off. Like, I don't like these clips, but I can't look away. Like, it, it's like a bad car wreck, pretty much. Um, it, it, it. I really like this episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it, it's something that you know Vice is so good at with Dark Side of the Ring is that they're going to tell you a story, and it doesn't really matter a hundred percent of the time if you're interested in the subject matter or not. They're going to tell you a good story with what's there. And and Nick Gage's life and career, are in, I think, are incredibly interesting. Whether you know you agree with the concept of deathmatch wrestling or not, I, I can't wait to hear what Cornette has to say about this one. Oh, boy. Um, he, he, he's already spoken about it a little bit. Uh, before we go too far into it, I do, want to, I do want to note, just to boast here for a second, that every single episode of Dark Side of the Ring so far this season has featured a viral pro wrestling performer, we had Brian Pillman Jr. in the first two episodes, and then Effie makes two yeah, appearances saw, in this one. Yeah, I saw Effie in there right at the beginning, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Nick Gage gets, you know, it, it, as far as the people that Dark Side of the Ring focuses on and the people that we typically focus on on this very podcast, I mean, you know, Nick Gage is kind of like down on the indie level. You know, he's not somebody that's nationally known. Uh, he is now, though, I think, after this episode. Yeah, I, I, I definitely say so. I, I think his popularity is going to go up. You know, 
it's funny because um and and sad note here but we recently um lost another dark side of the ring um subject matter in uh, new jack and um you know he he died of a heart attack at the age of 58 and it's it's interesting because it seemed like with this dark side of the ring episode that they did on him he became more popular than he's ever been in his entire career even though he has that controversial reputation just like nick gage kind of um you know, it, it seems as though they become more popular uh, in this instance. And uh, I just I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic, especially, you know, when we talk about what they do and stuff like that. I would agree entirely on that. I mean, uh, you know, you look at like Dark Side of the Ring in general and how many people it's pulling in. Right. I mean, it, it's you know, it's pulling in about a million viewers every mm-hmm. episode. And there are episodes of AEW that don't pull that. There's episodes of NXT that don't pull that. Um, and I mean, as far as like, you know, the time slot that it's in, there, there's episodes of Raw and SmackDown that don't pull that sometimes in that in that time slot. Yeah, and, and so there, in a lot of ways, I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot. I, I don't want to go too much into it, but a lot of the the TV wrestling audience, AEW, WWE, um, a lot of those are the same audience, right? It's it's kind of the same people that are just like, I want to watch wrestling every day, and I just want to put it on. And you know, th- there being seven wrestling shows on during the week isn't a problem for them. But it's kind of the same audience, and I don't think Vice. I think Vice draws some of those people, but I think a lot of the people that watch Vice may not, uh, or, or watch Dark Side of the Ring specifically. They may not be a hundred percent wrestling fans. Uh, they may not even like wrestling at all, but they just like the the subculture of wrestling, which has developed sort of its own fandom. And we talk about that pretty often on here, but it, it is a, a phenomenon that I don't think we can ignore. Yeah, well, I, I think that's because of the way that that they shoot this. This isn't your your typical wrestling documentaries um, or wrestling stories, even for that matter, like. This doesn't really focus on wrestling. Yes, there's a wrestling aspect to it, but this is more of the human side of things. You know, th- this is uh, taking it outside of the characters and stuff like that. So this doesn't really focus on wrestling, which is why it attracts you know, um, a different type of audience while also attracting the wrestling audience. It's kind of like you know what they try to do and what they still try to do uh, in the nineties and stuff like that, you know, when, uh, in the Monday night wars where they weren't just trying to attract the wrestling audience, they were also trying to attract the outside, uh, interest in wrestling and stuff like that. Uh, it's just this, um, TV show has found the right formula for it. People love tragedies. They love real life tragedies. That's why people watch First 48 and, and all those sorts of things as well. It's, it's, it's a similar thing. It's just a different different genre of that because all these guys happen to be in the wrestling business. Very true. Very true. Uh, you know, the murder mysteries, crime dramas, those sorts of things. I mean, they're huge. There's, there's a massive fan base for those things. Uh, exactly. one, more, one more general topic before we kind of dig into the meat and potatoes. Unfortunately, it's human meat in this episode. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, what do you guys think about the way that 
Vice shoots these kind of uh, compared to you know the other thing we've been covering heavily, which is the A and E biographies. You know, it didn't really occur to me until I was rewatching this episode tonight just how different the two are and and the reason the thing that i really noticed is like the a and e biography sort of focuses on these guys like they're these sort of like mythical sort of larger than life characters but everything on vice is so like it's very gritty it's you know the interviews are up close you're in the person's face and everybody's just kind of a person whether you're nick gage you're stone cold steve austin it doesn't matter it's it's very gritty and I think that's another thing that draws people to it as well. Well, I, I think that they don't want to look anything like a WWE production. Right. You know, they're basically making it known from the start that uh, this is their own thing. And it's funny because if you talk to the creators of this, um, uh, and I forget their names uh, right off the top of my head, but um, the, the creators of this, um, they have a the dark side of the podcast that airs the very next day after the show, uh, which I listened to. And uh, they love to joke about how if you saw those reenactment scenes and you saw them without the dark lighting and stuff like that, you would be like, what are these guys doing? This looks nothing like what it's supposed to look like. But since, you know, they dark out the lighting and stuff like that and the way that they shoot it it makes it look like it's, you know, uh, all of the characters look like they're supposed to uh, and everything like that. So uh, that's just kind of a funny side note about the reenactments. I love the reenactments, by the way. Agreed. Some, Especially some of them are hilarious. You know, we talk about the famous one with New Jack, with the guy at the very end in the wheelchair with all the cocaine on him or uh, the Herb Abrams reenactment of him uh you know dying and stuff like that uh so I, I i love the reenactments uh and stuff like that but i agree with you it has a very grittier feel to it pretty much like you would see on uh joe you mentioned it the first 48 and stuff like that like like it feels like one of those shows right well let's yeah, get I into it I Go really, ahead, I, I do like. Uh, I mean, I felt like I was a bigger fan of Moxley after this. He just seemed cool to me, talking about his, you know, his matches with with Nick Gage and how crazy he really was. Uh, like you said, kind of kind of treating them as people instead of performers for their for their interviews is really good. And Moxley has the line of the century. <laughs> I I don't know if if I like Moxley more or less after this. Uh, just because I also have the knowledge that he is actually going to go have a death match with Nick Gage in the near future. Um, yeah, yeah, he is. And uh, I, 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 I'm sorry, but I got to talk about that because I posted that on Facebook. I posted uh, the moment where he challenged Nick Gage. And I'm sorry, but that is what wrestling is missing nowadays. I'm not talking about the death match stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that they did this, the way that they had nick gage in the ring and then you had moxley just come out and walk up and basically get in his face and i'm just like see there's no gaga with any of this there's no bullshit it's just two badasses wanting to go at it and stuff like that and that's what wrestling is missing i'm sorry but it, it just the way that they did it was just so good um and i'm not gonna lie 
as much as I don't really like deathmatch wrestling and stuff like that, I kind of want to see that match. That's fair. I mean, I I gotta I can't lie. You know, I I kind of want to watch it too. Uh, <laughs> but but I, but if it was if I was Moxley, there's no way in hell I would do it, just because right. you know of the the level that he's at. You know, the the stardom that he's got, the career he has. I mean, he literally could pull an Orton and phone it in for the next 10 years if he wanted to and make tons of cash doing it. I'm not saying he would do that or he wants to do that. And I just had to get a sly dig in there at Randy Orton. Um, You did. But let's get into the details here talk about some of this stuff. I I love the way they opened this episode because, you know, normally when they're – if they're doing a single episode about somebody, they kind of – they always do like the them as a kid and then – this is what I was into. You know, I was into sports and, and, and this and that. And I like to do this on the weekends. And then they, you know, this is how I got into wrestling and this is who trained me. They did not do that at all with this episode. They went right for it. We're going to grab your attention. We're going to show you how absolutely insane Nick Gage is right off the rip. We're going to fill it with tons of clips from these death matches. Uh, we're going to talk about, basically they, they go through all the death match stuff. They have Moxley, who's a familiar face there. And then they go right into the really infamous incident uh, with the Tournament of Death, which we'll get, <laughs> touch on that in a minute. And then they they sort of peel it back and start talking about his life and everything. What did you guys think about uh, the way that you know they, they did this and the way they structured this episode? You're right. It's an attention grabber, for sure, right out the gate. Even somebody just flipping channels, they see the blood and guts. They're, okay, what's this? You know, they might not even be watching these on a regular or care about wrestling or Nick Gage or whatever. And they're like, okay, let's 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 watch a few more minutes of this. And and they're hooked at that point. You know, that like Stovall said, car wreck. You can't look away. So I think they did it right for this particular episode for sure. They I don't think they want you to necessarily have have any sort of empathy for Nick Gage. I don't think that they're presenting that way. That's a good point. Yeah, I and um, you know, we talk about John Moxley uh and him being in there. I think that he is a crucial part to being in this story because not only has he wrestled with Nick Gage He's a familiar face with the wrestling audience. You know, there's probably a lot of the wrestling audience that doesn't know who Nick Gage is or even the mainstream audience, but they know the name John Moxley. They know who he is. And and they're like, and as you saw, they had the clip of him in AEW and right off the bat, people go, oh, he's in AEW, you know, kind of thing. Um, so he's he's a very crucial part into leading in that story. And he's a good, I think, uh, guide to have explain what deathmatch wrestling is. Because obviously you can tell he loves it. And Moxley is one of those rare cases where he can do it all. He can he can not only do the deathmatch and the violence, the hardcore wrestling, but he can also have, you know, regular matches. He can... He can do it all in wrestling. So he he's just a fan of wrestling. So he was he was really that perfect guy to really tell you about the deathmatch wrestling uh, and stuff like that. 
And then, yeah, I really like the way that that they opened this up with Nick Gage talking about the deathmatch wrestling, like you said, uh, and stuff like that. And I think it was really good to start it off that way because it really grabs your attention right off the bat. And I was not expecting the story to go that way, too. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, well, he probably went too far or something like that. I didn't expect the thing to start off with, oh, yeah, by the way, he died and everything <laughs> and was brought back to life. I went, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> that yeah. was not where I was going with it and or, or where I thought uh, that it was going with. And I, then what I thought was really interesting was the scene where he's in the back and the people are like trying to stitch him up and he is insisting. He's like, no, 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 just tape this up and let me walk back out there uh, and stuff like that. And, and I did want to mention this part as well. Um, the guy that he's wrestling, Thumbtack Jack, that should tell you all you need to know about Deathmatch Wrestling right there. Yeah. Especially when I saw the guy walk out, I was like, what the hell? This looks like a horror movie character, pretty much. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you know, the tournament of death is is it's a thing, and uh, you know, I was familiar with it a little bit. Um, you know, it's kind of a urban legend, kind of like Nick Gage is to, um, you know, and this particular match, I mean, has made its rounds on the internet ever since it actually happened. And it's just insane that the guy bled out to the point where he legally died for seven minutes. Um, I mean, it, it begs the question, can Nick Gage be killed? You know, <laughs> is, is he some immortal creature that roams the earth hitting people with light bulbs? You know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but um, that was a crazy way to start off uh, the episode. You know, it, it was like last time on the Pillman episode where uh, with Pillman, it was, oh, yeah, he had this bright, you know, promising future and, and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. It could have been all this, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, his ex-wife gets stabbed in the face. Like, it's like, oh, we're going there already. Okay. So it's like with this episode, it's like, oh, so we're going here now so we're going with death and then resurrection all right <laughs> you know thumbtack jack was probably like man i threw that guy through one set of ropes with light bulbs in it and he had to go to the hospital what a pussy <laughs> yeah um so i want to talk about the speakers here in the episode before we go further this is a very focused episode from a you know from a speak you know from the point of like guest speakers that they had on there's only four, really. Uh, you have uh, John Moxley, we already talked about at length. Um, Brett Lauderdale, who is the owner of Game Changer Wrestling. Yes. Um, uh, Joe, what did you think about Brett? Well, I'll say this. It seems like he'll do anything for Nick Gage. I mean, I'll give him some credit there. He, he, he you know, kind of backed his guy pretty much most of the way through this kept giving him opportunities because Nick Gage, <laughs> he screwed up a few times, but uh, you know, he's uh he's a little different cat, but th that's the one thing that stood out to me. He, he was basically 
holding the guy's spot while he was in prison. You know, he had plans for this dude, even while the guy's, you know, behind bars for four years. So uh, I'll give him the loyalty, loyalty check for that one for sure. Well, he definitely knew, I think, I, I think Nick Gage was probably a big draw for him. I mean, uh, Game Changer Wrestling has come a long way. I mean, they did a ton of events at over Mania weekend. Um, they've had some big matches out there. I mean, they, they they do a lot of stuff. A lot of people that we know have wrestled for Game Changer Wrestling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it somebody has to be really special if you're the owner slash promoter, whatever, and they go to jail and you're like, man, in five years when that guy gets out, I got a really awesome storyline that I'm going to have prepped up for him. Right. I mean, the dedication you have to have the the amount of potential you have to see in somebody to still have their back after all the shit that Nick Gage could have and probably did get Brett Lauderdale and Game Changer Wrestling into. Right. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, um, and, and we mentioned uh, people that we know that have wrestled for Game Changer Wrestling. It, I believe that's the same... Um, promotion that uh, sponsored Effie's thing. Effie's, um, what was it, Gay Brunch or something like that? Effie's Big Gay Brunch, yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they also, I believe, uh, Young Professor's uh, classroom thing that he had was involved with them somehow. Like, they were like a co-sponsor of it or and something like that. Uh, Joey Janela's Spring Break works with, G um, with GCW. Maybe so. Uh, fuck Joey Janela. Anyway, the next uh, <laughs> person uh, uh, was uh, Sandra, which is his uh, Nick Gage's girlfriend. I thought that her insight here was really interesting. Um, she seems like a very interesting person. Like, yeah. I would want to have a, a conversation with her. Not for very long. Maybe about 15, 20 minutes. But <laughs> I, I definitely want to talk to this person. Kayla, what, what did uh, you think about Sandra in this episode? I thought that she's definitely very loyal to Nick Gage. Um, she really loves him. For her to want to just stick around like that and through all that bullshit that he's been through, um, I mean, good lord! Um, I'm 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 surprised she didn't leave him when uh, you know he pulled that stupid shit to go to jail in the first place. Uh, that we that we'll talk about more coming up here. But I'm I'm surprised she didn't leave him like right off the bat there. So, um, yeah, she seemed interesting. I thought that she kind of exaggerated. Well, I guess maybe not. I, I thought it was maybe a little bit more exaggerated uh, about how many fan letters and, like, how many fans he actually touched and stuff like that. But I could be wrong. Maybe he did touch a lot of people uh, and stuff like that. Because, I mean, Brett did show, like, the big, huge stack of mail um, then he had, and I know we'll probably go over that, but I've, I found Sandra to like, like you said, be really interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to know more about her at times than I did Nick Gage, not, not from like, like the whole thing, but just more about like, what was her thoughts at the time? Cause she really didn't say like what her thoughts were when he, when he went to jail, you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. she, didn't, she didn't say that she was so angry with him or that she was sad or, 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 or whatnot, you know, it's just, 
oh yeah, that happened. And then I was there when he was released, basically. Yeah, I, I, th- really the only time she goes into that is when he does like the fire spot or whatever. Yeah. Where, where she go, you know, talks about that she was upset about it or, you know, she asked him not to do it and he told her he wasn't going to. Um, that was like really the only time. And that's, I, I'm kind of with you. I kind of want to know like what was her thought process as like A, B, C happened, you know, uh, when he died for seven minutes, you know, things like that. Um, what was your impression of her, Joe? That's definitely his ride or die. Um, I, and, you know, Stovall just said loyal. We, we mentioned Game Changer Wrestling guy being loyal. And it goes back to his ability to connect with people probably. And, you know, the character, is, is your wrestling character is supposed to be an exaggerated version of you. And that's maybe just he just attracts people in some sort of way. I, I bet his inner circle is very small, though. But um, the, regardless, the ones that are there, these ones folks writing letters to him, it's, it's, it's all the same. They're just very loyal to him. He creates that loyalty. From what I have been told by several people in the wrestling business that know Nick Gage and what moxley says here in the episode i don't think nick gage's wrestling personality is him turned up to 100 i think it's just him yeah, yeah. i i don't i don't think there is, i think it's turned up already i i think he's already turned up to 100 uh all the time uh probably but uh i want to talk before we go further we did have one more person that uh was uh, a, a frequent speaker in this episode and that was david arquette uh, former WCW champion David Arquette. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I should have mentioned that. Uh, I don't know why it would have slipped my mind. Uh, but yes, former WCW champion David Arquette, who is that honestly probably the most famous person in this episode. Um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get into that towards the end, but. Um, I thought that David Arquette was uh, really entertaining where when he was uh, speaking because it's like he was really laid back for somebody who was talking about that time Nick Gage kicked his ass. You know, I mean, it's been a while, you know, but, you know, he was I, – I just – I don't think he – I think he takes the whole WCW title reign less seriously than we do. Yeah. Well, I, I also think that at times David Arquette gets unfairly like punished for that because he didn't book it. Exactly. Right. He didn't book it. It was a it was one bro who yeah. put that and stuff like that. And and the argument that I always hear was there the next day there was a front page cover in the entertainment or magazine or whatever of David Arquette. And I said, okay, that may be true. However, what happened afterwards, Vince? Like, did it go anywhere else after that? No, it did not. So your your, your logic is stupid, but that's a different story. But I think like David Arquette, though, like I said, gets um, unfairly like punished for that because it wasn't his fault you know he just went along with it and in fact if you actually talk to him he really didn't want to do it to be quite honest you know he 
he kind of wanted to not do that. Um, but you know, he went along with it and so did everyone else. So, uh, but I don't know. He, he just seemed kind of like a really cool guy uh, in, in this uh, episode. I just kind of thought. I want to know that how the hell does Eric Bischoff look older in those 20 year old clips than he does today? Because <laughs> he really, he really did. You know, I mean, I guess he colors his hair now, but he, you know, he had the full head of gray, but he just, I guess at that point in his life, he was, must've just been really miserable because he looks, he's, work, he's working at Russo every day. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably look like shit too if I was working on Vince Russo every day. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy, honestly, he looked better in the Savage documentary than he did in those clips that he showed, and those are from like 2000. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's wild what working with Vince Russo every day will do to you, I suppose. Exactly. Well, so to the way he talks about Vince Russo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So. At this point in time, you know, after we've gone through the, you know, he almost legally died. Or I mean, he did legally die for seven minutes. Um, then they kind of peel it back and they talk about how him and his brother, Justice Payne, um, you know, started off in CZW. Uh, it was so outlandish that ECW thought it was crazy. Um, and, you know, they talk about him watching Saturday Night Main Event at his dad's house. And I'll be honest, I didn't really know the story about his brother. Um, so I'm thinking, at this point, I'm like, okay, his brother hasn't appeared in the documentary yet. This is an episode of Dark Side of the Ring. That means he either still hates his guts or he's dead. Um, and it might be both. I mean, we really don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't. They never talk about them reconnecting or making up or anything like that. Um, but they do talk about them breaking into the scene in CZW um, and then eventually Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, and it seems like they had this kind of, you know, uh, this childhood dream to, to grow up and be pro wrestlers. They went about it kind of like the route of like the Hardy Boys. You know, they're wrestling in the backyard and whatnot. Um, but, you know, instead of... It, it's It's interesting to see where your path can take you because instead of ending up in... WCW or ECW, any of these places, they ended up in CZW, um, you know, and just started doing crazier and crazier shit. Uh, Joe, what do you think, what did you think about this part of it? Um, you know, him and his brother, like coming up in the business together. It, it did remind me of the Hardys, kind of like you said, because these guys, it seems like they're pretty self-taught and, and, and started in the backyard. And although, Clearly, and, and they said this, they were influenced by death matches, ECW, and that sort of thing. And that's all they wanted to follow. I don't think, I don't think, I think these guys both knew that they were never going to be Kurt Angle, for example. You know, they, they didn't have the skill or anything like that. So, I I, I don't know. It, it, that This is where they're finally trying to get you to, to have some empathy, I think, with the, with the brother story. But, um, you know, like you said, they still achieved a dream, both of them. So, I mean, kudos to them. Agreed. I mean, this is where they really wanted to go. Um, and, and they, they both made it. I mean, um, you know, this is kind of where we start to see sort of the, the degradation of Nick Gage. I mean, some of these clips where they start talking about him being on drugs all the time, he looks awful. 
Yeah. Uh, he looked absolutely terrible. You could tell he kind of gained weight. He wasn't taking care of himself. Um, and, and and I think the most telling clip here, and uh, and I, I'm going to get you guys' opinion on this, when they talk to Brett Lauderdale and they say, uh, you know, they talk about his addiction issues. They say, what percentage of his pay was you think was going to drugs? And he says all of it. No doubt at all. He, he wasn't joking. He was being completely serious. This guy was coming in wrestling, using all his wrestling money to buy drugs. What, what did you think about that line, uh, Caleb? Uh, <laughs> he, he was, uh, he didn't hold anything back in this episode about Nick, did he? <laughs> like, Not at all. And, but, and, I, and that's good. That's what you want. Well, it, it is, but it, it just was interesting to me because it's, it's, you know, a, but apparently these guys are such good friends. You know, he, he, uh, goes out on a limb for Nick, uh, basically, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that. Um, I think even Nick and, uh, his girlfriend said it, uh, themselves that they weren't doing anything. They did not go to work. Uh, they were living with her mother, I think, and, uh, they didn't do anything. So you, you, you so I'm pretty sure all of his money was going towards, uh, towards drugs and stuff like that. And it probably wasn't a lot of money. It was probably like $200 a match. If that, you know, like, um, I guarantee you the tournament of death winning that thing, you probably didn't get paid that much to do it. <laughs> so, probably uh, not, man. You look at these audiences and I mean, you do the math and there's 200 people there at the most. And that's these things. And that's interesting because obviously CZW is going to draw in that kind of a crowd. Um, I've, I've never really liked CZW for that matter. Um, but Game Changer Wrestling draws more of a crowd, though, today than CZW did. Right. Ever, probably. Yes, absolutely. But Game Changer Wrestling draws in a pretty big crowd. Probably, I, I would say, probably about as much as they did um, that PWX show that we went to. They probably draw in that majority of a crowd, um, all of their shows. Yeah, they... They do a pretty good amount, I think. And they do a lot of events, and they do a lot of different type of events. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're they're a big deal. I mean, they're not at the same level as, like, a, you know, NWA, Ring of Honor, yeah. MLW. No. But, but they draw decently, and they do, like I said, a lot of events. And they have a – I think they get a lot of views on Fight TV. Probably so, I would imagine. Because I'll be honest with you. I don't want to go see a death match in person, but I don't mind watching one on TV. I just don't want to be in the room when the yeah. light bulbs and shit are going everywhere. You know, I'll agree with that. But sometimes I can't help but watch some of those death matches, especially the ones in Japan that they talk about. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I like some of those, like especially with Mick Foley and uh, well, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about this for a second. I think there's a clear difference between what Terry Funk and Cactus Jack were doing and what Nick Gage does. And I'm not just trying to shit on Nick Gage. I'm not trying to say that there's not an audience for what he's doing because it's very easy to be a, a wrestling snob and be like, Nick Gage is not a fucking pro wrestler. That's not true. Um, Nick Gage is a draw to an extent to a certain group of people. And he's obviously done 
pretty well. You know, he's got a lot of faith in him. He's got a Dark Side of the Ring episode about him. Yeah. I'm not saying that what he does, it, I don't think there's any technical excellence to it. It's not my cup of tea. But the man knows how to draw. He knows how to connect with an audience. Um, I don't want to be in the ring with him, but shit, you know? Uh, but but I don't think, I think what Terry Funk and McFoley were doing, though, I, it, 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 they were death matches, but it was more along the lines of working, more along the lines of an art, the it was art form controlled. of wrestling. It was more controlled. Um, they weren't out there actually trying to injure each other. I mean, they knew that they were going to get hurt, um, but I think there is a line between what Nick Gage considers as a death match and what Terry Funk and Mick Foley were doing. I, I agree. Like Mick Foley and Terry Funk were, you know, slamming light bulbs and stuff like that, which, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he had the incident with the light, uh, with the first light bulb incident, because I don't care how good you are at, you know, choreographing that stuff or rigging it or whatnot. There's no way after about the fifth time that that can end well. It, it, it just can't. It, I don't care if you have it perfectly set up in the ring for you to fall on. Like, you're breaking glass. Glass is going to do whatever it wants to do when it smashes. You know, the pieces are going to go wherever they want to go. David Arquette finds that out later on in the episode. You know, he he didn't even get cut on the neck with Nick Gage doing it. He, he literally did it when he just turned around and one of the glasses just happened to, you know, go up into his neck, basically. So, you know, it, it's just there's no way to do that safely after a while. I'm sorry. There's just none. Yeah, I mean, two people throwing each other around a wrestling ring when they're both professionals, both athletes, both know what they're doing, is still insanely dangerous. Yeah. When you start adding steel chairs to it, it's more dangerous. When you start adding fluorescent light tubes to it, it's incredibly more dangerous. <laughs> Wrestling's dangerous enough without tons of sharp objects in the ring. Yeah. Um, so we get to this point, Nick Gage is down and out. Uh, his mom passes away, who he's, he was very close to. Um. They end up moving in with Sandra's mom. They get kicked out because nobody's working and, you know, he's on drugs and she probably was too. They don't say that in the episode, but I I doubt he was just hanging out with this chick all the time and she was never partaking. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> they, they end up sneaking into Brett's house and crashing there. He kicks him out. It's 10 degrees out. So Nick Gage is like, fuck it. I'm going to rob a bank. And he, he tries one bank. He, he, you know, doesn't want to do it. He's like, no, I'm not going to do this. Uh, he pussies out is his term he uses. And then finally he goes and robs a bank. Um, and, and for the most part, kind of gets away with it, except for the fact that he's caught on camera without a mask. <laughs> and it's And it's very clearly this guy that you can just find on YouTube or whatnot. Um, Joe, uh, you know, you have years and years and years of law enforcement uh, experience. What do you think uh, about this? Like, how long do you think it took them to figure out it was Nick Gage? A uh, couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the time he got to the casino and started spending the money, they probably like, oh yeah, we know who this is. Do you think that 
the sentence he got. I think he got five years. Super uh, light. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was thinking. I wanted so I wanted to get your opinion on whether that was like something that was typical or not. Yeah, it's super light, and uh, most bank robberies go federal, and this one was a state sentence, which usually means you get out a lot earlier. Although this time he did do eighty five percent of his sentence before he got out, which would be close to what he'd get in the federal system. But he would have gotten much more time in the federal system. So he got he was very fortunate to be prosecuted on the state level. Well, and here's a question I have. Did his sentence get lighter because he turned himself in? I mean, it is possible they took that in, you know, as as a piece of mitigation there that they didn't have to chase him down 10 states away or something. But, you know, he spent that money for a week. It was it was a full week that he was out there yeah. balling balling at the casino, so there's that too. I don't know, you know. Th- typically, when these things happen, you have folks show. He didn't have a lot of folks, but he you got folks show up saying, "Oh, it's because he was on drugs and he was desperate. He didn't have a job. Is you know, it's life's falling apart or whatever." And those those things were probably taken in consideration. But yeah, five year sentence is light for a bank robbery. That's kind of what I was thinking too, and and I and I thought along the same lines as you, Caleb. But maybe they took into consideration he turned himself in. Maybe he didn't have a record prior to this. Uh, you know, lots of things there. But uh, he does end up getting back out. Um, and by the way, does John Moxley not have the line of the century in the? <laughs> I, I love this where he's like the guy wears a mask to the ring, so he looks like he just robbed a train. The one time he doesn't wear a fucking mask is when he robs a bank. <laughs> I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I can tell a war, if I can tell a war story here real quick, I, I worked a bank robbery in Warrington, which Caleb, you're familiar with that area, and it was very similar. A guy with no criminal history, strung out on drugs, wanted some money. He goes to the, the only bank in Warrington that I know of. And I used to work there. Fun, oh, funny really? story. Okay. So, you know, another connection there. He passes a note. They give him the money along with a die pack. He walks out of there, gets to his car, die pack explodes. He's got red ink all over him, right? He's from Savannah. He doesn't know how to get out of town. The cops caught him five minutes later, circling around, trying to find his way back to the interstate. He never even made it out of town with the money. It, it's these wow. impulse things like this, and that's why Nick Gage didn't have a mask on, because it was an impulse thing, just like what this guy did. Yeah, but that guy got 15 years. So, so again, apples, apples to apples here. The five-year sentence, pretty light. Not only did I grow up in Warrington, Georgia, and I worked at that bank, and I was trained on how to like use the die pack if somebody was to come in and, and rob the place. Uh, that is all hilarious to me. And I also can totally see how somebody who's not familiar with the area would have no way, <laughs> no idea how to get back to the interstate because there is no clear, it's not like most right. towns where like the main road just kind of goes to the interstate. Right. It, it's, it's, it's way, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the area, I, I think there could be a reality TV show where we just place people in Warrington and see if they can figure out how to get out. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and, and I would be entertained. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so he, he goes to the casino. Him and his girl ball out for the week and everything. He goes to jail. Uh, he gets all these letters and everything. Uh, he gets back out. Um, and, you know, so Caleb, I want to get your opinion on this. They never they, they try not to say this in the episode. And they don't say it. They kind of skirt around the fact that he's, like, gotten his life back together. But they don't ever actually say that. As a matter of fact, when they asked Brett Lauderdale about it, he really beats it around the bush. He's like, eh, you know, what does a happy ending look like for Nick Gage? You know, he kind of <laughs> goes in that direction. What was your thoughts on that? I think what they were trying to say is, is it's like he's gotten his life together as far as he's not going around robbing banks and stuff like that. Like he did his time uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. But as far as <laughs> so he hasn't robbed a bank today. So. Exactly. Or, or not. But I think what they're referring to with that is, well, but as far as the death match wrestling, well, that's still going on at about, you know, the same speed that he was the first time he was doing it you know that that part of him has not changed uh and he is the current gcw world champion yeah he's right currently now. their world champion so he's not just the king of the death match he's their world champion and i think that's what moxley's coming to challenge him for is that gcw title um which again, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm really looking forward to, uh, I I really want to watch that, but um, yeah, I I think that they were just kind of trying to say that like, you know, it's a happy ending of the fact of he's alive, you know, he he still is doing wrestling, he is not blackballed from wrestling or anything like that. There are. There are, obviously there are still people who want to work with him. So he's not as dangerous as new Jack, <laughs> you know, was like where it was like, no, you know what? The stabbing the guy, we're good with that. That's uh, we're not going to take that kind of risk, but apparently Nick Gage is fine to work with, with uh, some people, um, I guess. And uh, like I said, I, I, I just think it was more just saying that like, you know, Hey, he's still doing the death match wrestling and I'm pretty sure he's, I'm pretty sure he's still taking pain pills. Like I'm pretty sure he's still dabbles in drugs. Like he's not clean and sober basically. They definitely don't say that. Yeah. So that's, I don't know if it's beating around the bush, you know, kind of thing. I I, I don't really know what to think of it. Like, I, I don't know if uh, it's supposed to be, a, oh, well, this guy's a continuously fuck up or, or whatnot, because I, I don't think he's that much of a fuck up. I think that he had that one major incident with the bank and stuff like that. But other than that, you know, he's still doing wrestling. So he, he was on, um, uh, high spots on the little video auction thing or whatever they do not yeah. too long ago. And, and yeah. I watched that and he seemed like he's got it together. Um, you know, and some people can put it together for the camera, but Nick Gage doesn't really seem like that guy, you know, Nick Gage kind of seems like that's what you get at all times. Um, so I want to talk about two more things before we wrap up. Uh, one, you know, him and his brother had a very strained relationship when he gets on drugs. They showed the clip of the match 
Uh, I believe it was for the CZW title at the time, or it may have been GCW title. Um, you know, and his brother just hits him with his finish, like right off the rip, and nearly injures him in the process uh, because you know he showed up to the show and he was you know strung out and everything, uh, and then doesn't visit him once when he's in jail. Basically, you know, writes him off. My brother's a criminal. Uh, and then his brother eventually commits suicide. And as far as we know from the documentary, they never really made up or anything like that. They never really reconnected. They don't talk about him reconnecting with his brother at all. Um, but they show the clip of him uh, at the indie show, you know, talking about it. And, you know, he it seemed like it really ate him up. He talked about, like, the the bridge his brother jumped off of is like right outside his house. He sees it every day. Um, Joe, what, what did you think about that whole, like that series of events? I mean, it's, it's definitely not your like Hollywood sort of, uh, you know, grow up and become famous, uh, fairy tale. Yeah. It, it struck me that they said, it seemed like the brother had everything together. Nick was the one in trouble. And then later they flip roles and they mentioned, the brother having some, maybe some mental health issues that, you know, that were either brushed on the rug or not dealt with or something like that. Um, even with that, I wouldn't consider Nick Gage a role model in any way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that. And, and I've, I've heard of, I've heard of families and things like that before where, the, Oh, this, this kid right here, he's the black sheet. And that kid ends up turning out to be the one that's the most successful or whatever. And the one that they have all these expectations for, again, this probably isn't a good comparison with Nick Gage, but the one they have all these expectations for uh, ends up, you know, going to prison or being a drug addict or whatever else. So, yeah, it seems like later in life they – they I, I kind of want to know more about the brother as a result of this, you know, just to – what's the background? He seemed to me a little more serious about the wrestling business than Nick Gage. It seemed like he had he had a better physique. Um, it seemed like he was more serious about having an actual wrestling match, maybe as opposed to just a death match. Just from the few clips we saw, I don't know much about the Justice Pain. I don't know much about him, but um, it was interesting to see that see him discuss the the switch there. Maybe season four we can get a Justice Pain episode, Dark Side of the Ring. You know. Stovall said something earlier, and I was I was about to just say, Stovall, sounds like you're expecting a, a chapter two to this later on down the road here. And Nick good. Gage ain't done screwing up, you know? That's true. <laughs> he could be the first person to get a sequel, a follow-up. Exactly. Um, now, I, I, I do want to say, you know, uh, quote of the night is uh, Joe Brown, uh, I don't think Nick Gage is a great role model. Um, <laughs> understatement of the, yes, <laughs> understatement of the century uh so one more i want to talk about one last thing before we wrap this up the obvious thing the big elephant in the room the death match with arquette caleb <laughs> you have the floor man tell me about the death match with david arquette well, you know what's interesting about this was I was working with Fox at the time and uh, that TMZ report, I saw it as it happened on TMZ uh, and they covered the shit out of that. <laughs> like they were talking about that. Um, 
first of all, the, the concept for it to me is so weird. Like out of everyone you could have thought to put in the ring, you think David Arquette, like, like, there just wasn't any thought to anyone else. It was nope, David Arquette. <laughs> like, I, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, I, <laughs> he, like David Arquette said, he had no business being in the ring in a death match. If it was a regular matchup with someone who could protect him and make him look good and stuff like that, it would have been fine. But this was a death match that we're talking about. No one looks good in a death match <laughs> like that. Like, it's just, it's impossible to. Um, and then, like I said, it wasn't even on where, you know, Nick Gage comes over with the tubes itself and like busts it over him. That wasn't where he got hurt. Where he got hurt was literally when he turned around and tried to like wrestle him or something like that. And just one of the glasses, one of the glass pieces just shot up into his neck. And that's what cut him. Um, but I love how Nick Gage in this episode was just like, ah, he got cut. There wasn't anything leaking or anything like that. To continue on with the fucking match. <laughs> like, like it was just no problem to anyone. It's just, oh, oh, he got sliced in the neck. Oh, you're good. <laughs> Walk it off. <laughs> I think so. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn on it, right? Because on the one aspect, like Nick Gage sat at the table with him, and he was like, "This shit is not fake. This yeah. is a death match. There will be glass. I'm gonna hit you for real. Like it's gonna be nuts." And David Arquette never like I don't know if he just got like this, you know, tough guy mentality of like, "Oh, it's not gonna be that bad," you know. I, I don't know, man. Like, and I, I feel like Nick Gage was very, very upfront with him based on what's in the show yeah. about what was going to happen. Now, from a wrestling point of view, he, you know, they did agree that he wasn't going to cut him, and so he shouldn't have done that. And, and that's kind of where this thing where, like, where I would never trust Nick Gage in, in you know, I, I would never book him or want to be in the ring with him because if he's going to say something like that, and then go back on it in the match. I mean that that kind of betrays like you know one of the like core tenets of pro wrestling is that having that trust in your opponent. Yeah. Um, but besides that one aspect, I'm with him on this the whole way. Like David Arquette had no business being out there. Yeah. And and I mean he's lucky that he did not get permanently seriously injured uh, in that match. Joe, what did you think about it? Well, you know, I think Arquette felt like he had a lot to prove still. And and that is part of why he wanted to do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in the hard way. They don't they don't respect me. Who's the hardest guy I can go up against? Okay, this guy Nick Gage, he cuts people open. You know, I I, I respect Arquette for, for you know, trying to earn the respect of the business the hard way. Yeah. Um, and, and Nick Gage even said he respected him, you know, towards the end there. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I it was interesting watching that. I had not seen any of that match. So it was really interesting watching them wrestle a little bit and, and fight a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Although I, I will say this, uh, you know, if, if you saw some of the clips, you saw David Arquette snap off that Hurricane Rana and jump off the top turnbuckle. He looked pretty good. It was smooth stuff. It was very smooth, and and Nick Gage did speak highly of him. Yeah, um, you know, and, and David Arquette has had some decent matches uh, after you know his kind of second attempt at wrestling, where he came back and was like, "Hey, you know, I want to actually do this." He's had some good matches. I've seen some of them. Yeah, and 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 I want to catch that documentary of his. You can't kill David Arquette. Yeah, I I, I want to see that one. I that still was, have not seen that, but it's up on Hulu, and I want to watch it. That might be something we could review once the uh, the endless downpour of content stops coming out uh, <laughs> with A and E and Dark and uh, Vice uh, constantly raining down new things for us to review. I know, right? Um, that being said, guys, I want to wrap this one on up. Uh, I do want to highlight a few things uh, on the podcast. Uh, we just recently put out uh, the uh, A&E biography, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage uh, review. Uh, that has come out. Um, part two of uh, Brian Pillman uh, will be out by the time you see this as well. Um, and then uh, we also are going to be covering, uh, upcoming, we're going to have the A&E biography, Shawn Michaels episode. So there's a ton of stuff coming down the pipe. We're basically doing two of these every week. And as long as uh, the A&E uh, WWE Legends biography series is running, which I believe is for three more weeks. Um, so there's just a ton of stuff for us to talk about. Uh, Joe, thank you for being on here from Suplexes and Microphones. A lot of people are looking forward to you guys coming back and doing some new interviews. So this is the perfect time to catch up on the, the back catalog that you guys have there of all kinds of excellent interviews that you guys have done over the last, what, four years, is it? Oh, man. I, <laughs> I can't even call it. I think it is about four years at some point this year. And, you know, we mentioned Effie. Uh, that's a good one. Caleb, you were involved with us on that one there. And if anybody wants to check it out, everything's at Suplexes Mics. I saw YouTube videos, and they're long. They're, they're in-depth. So if you got to do them in bite-sized pieces, go right ahead. Yep. <laughs> Definitely thanks for coming back on the show. Can't wait to have you back on again. And each and every week, of course, I'm joined by none other than Caleb Stovall from the SWN. Thank you, Caleb, as well, for being here tonight. Yeah, man. And uh, before we wrap up, I, I know we're only three episodes into Dark Side of the Ring, man. But I've, I've got to say this. We were talking about it earlier off air, man. I truly believe that this season is probably been some of their best work ever i'm i'm truly impressed by what they have been able to show us so far this season um really really good i have to agree the next episode i believe is collision in korea I can't wait <laughs> and uh i'm super excited about that one so yep. um that'll be on the next episode we do but as far as this episode is concerned this has been an evolved review <laughs>